But what, we are, what we're talking about, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, if you missed that first 120 seconds, don't worry, it's not that important, we'll catch you up. So what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is simply this, that this whole series, we want to help you put the past in the past so you can keep moving forward. That's what we want to do, and that's why it's been a little bit uncomfortable. And so in part one, Josh kind of unpacked this big idea and then said, for the next four weeks, we're going to give you one big application every single week that will help you put your past in the past and begin to move forward. So we said uh, in part two that in order to move forward, you need to first of all release it. To move forward, you need to release the past so that it can release you. Which means if you want to move forward, you need to stop looking back into the past. You need to set your focus on the future and you need to let go of those things that you're holding on to because you can't move forward unless you let go of the things you've been holding on to. And then last week, Josh said you need to own it. And we kind of said that there's, there's a part, maybe not all of it. For you, you're, you're, you're probably one of the greatest people in the world, I know, because you come here. It's probably like 5%. You just need to own 5% of your past. But you need to own a little bit. Because in every decision you've made in your past, you've been a part of it. So you need to own a little bit. And we said that confession is the first part of a process. And if that word confession is a church word and you're like, I don't get it, don't worry, I'll explain it in a second. Confession is the first part of a process that ultimately leads to change in lifestyle and behavior. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the rest of this process. Because last week we talked about the owning part of the process and we're going to talk about the rest of the process tonight. Because without the rest of the process, if you're here and you wouldn't really consider yourself a follower of Jesus, chances are that you might look in on Christians because they miss this part of the process. And when you look in on Christians, you label them a word and the word is hypocrite. And if you're a Christian here tonight, the good news is I'm not blaming you. Because chances are you were never taught the second part of this process. If you grew up in church like me or if you went to Sunday school uh, like me, we were never taught the second part of this process. It was kind of talked about, but it was never really addressed. It was just simply glazed over. And so tonight, I want to bring front and center the rest of that process. And the rest of that process revolves around what we started to talk about last week. And it's this idea of confession. Is this headset working yet? No, that's okay. Uh, Is this idea of confession. Now, if you were anything like me and you went to church uh, growing up, I had a Sunday school teacher and I remember one day coming into Sunday school, sitting there, having, uh, and, and the Sunday school teacher's teaching us and she said that, hey, when you do anything wrong, all you gotta do is say sorry to God and God throws all your sins into a sea of forgetfulness. So for me, I kind of thought that confession equals God forgets your past. I was like, how good is this? There's like a loophole in the system. Because then, if God forgets my past, I can just do whatever I want and God will forget it. All I've got to do is say sorry. This is incredible. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I started to play what I like to call the confession game. And this is going to be hard because I I only have one hand. But I started to play the confession game because I figured... That within each of us, right, if my Sunday school teacher had explained this to me properly, that within inside each of us, there's a little bit of a bucket. And we go through our week and we collect stuff and we put it in our bucket. And what goes into our bucket is any time 
that we don't meet God's perfect standard. So any time that we lie, any time that we steal, any time that we cheat, any time that we damage our vertical relationship with God, but also our horizontal relationship with other people, our stuff goes in a bucket. And then at the end of the day, or at the end of the week, you go to church, and literally, it's this easy. You just say, God, I'm sorry, and then you empty the bucket. And you just go back out and fill it up the next day. You go back out and fill it up the next week. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? Because it's pretty much this. This is the confession game. Where you say, you know what? I mess up. I admit it. Oopsies. Sorry. God forgives me, because that's what he does. And, and when he forgives me, he forgets. And then I get to move on scot-free. And that sounds great to like a 10-year-old. And some of you are probably like, well, isn't that what we do, Chris? Isn't that what happens as Christians? Like I mess up, I admit it, God forgives me, he forgets it, and then we move on. Here's the thing. That doesn't make sense when you start to get older. And here's, the, here's what I mean by this. Could you just imagine you're, you're doing one of those merging lanes when you come onto the highway? And you know, you know what it's like when you're trying to merge onto the highway in traffic. If you're in the merging lane, so in this illustration, you're in the car merging onto the highway, and you've just come from one of those ridiculous 60 zones where they try to merge you in 100. So you're like thinking that you're a V8 Formula One race car driver, and your foot is to the floor, and someone is coming up inside the lane that you are trying to merge in. And then you have that awkward moment where you realize we are going to get into the same lane at the exact same time, and they recognize it too. So you take your foot off the accelerator to let them in and they take their foot off the accelerator to let you in and then you both slow down. And then you think, oh, I've got to speed up. And so they're, they're, you're thinking, I've got to speed up because they've slowed down. And they're thinking, I've got to speed up because they've slowed down. And then what happens is you just end up sneaking right in front of them and you see them absolutely losing their mind in the windshield, uh, in, the wind, uh, uh, in the rear view mirror. And then they put their finger up and do some gestures that you've never seen before because you're a good Christian guy, you're a good Christian girl, and you don't know what those gestures are. And then you go home, right? And they go home. And then imagine later that night, you go to pray. You say, God, I think that driver that I accidentally cut off was pretty mad at me today. It's some gestures I've never seen before, maybe it was sign language, I'm not sure. But he, he did these gestures, and Lord, I'm sorry... I just want to admit that, that maybe I caused someone to get angry. And God goes, no worries, I've got this. I forgive you, I forget it. And then 20 minutes later, the person that you cut off comes to God to pray. They're like, God, I got so angry today. And God's like, what about? Well, this person cut me off. Oh, they did? And God's like, talking to the angels, like, did someone get CCTV footage of this? Because I must have been having a power nap during this section of the time. Like, I completely missed it. Like, it makes no sense when we play it out that God forgets. And even if, even if God forgot your past, everyone else would remind him for you. Every, if God forgets, everyone would be like, ah, oh, God, I just need to tell you about the time that he or she borrowed my assignment to help with theirs, and then all of a sudden we both got called into the teacher's office at the exact same time, and they didn't admit to stealing my assignment. They passed it off as my, their own and said that I copied. Everyone else would remind God about the time you lied. Everyone else got, would remind God about the promises that you broke. And so this idea that God forgets leads us to play this confession game. And if you really want to kind of pull out this whole idea a step further, 
Imagine you were in that position. And imagine your sister or your brother or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or someone you care about deeply went out every single week and stole from you and lied to you and talked trash about you on social media in the comment section. And then, once a week, they came back to you and said, oops, I did it, I'm sorry. And even if you were able to forgive them over and over and over and over again, could you honestly sit back and say, that's a relationship I would like to be in. That's a relationship I would recommend other people to be in. And that's where we get stuck as Christians because we treat God like this and we would never accept anyone else treating us this way. And this is the second part of confession that we're going to talk about. And it leads us to really ask, like, if, if we're supposed to be in a relationship with God, why do we play the confession game? Why do we go about it this way? And I think the answer is simple. To feel better. Because we were told at Sunday school that if you apologize, God forgets. And so we're like, you know what? There's this guilt that is weighing on me. There's this feeling that I can't escape and, and I say sorry and I just can't move past it. And so we're like, well, if, if I just play the confession game, the goal of the confession game is to help me feel better, to clear my conscience, to remove that guilt. And the good news is, for us, that we are not the only people in history to play the confession game. In fact, uh, Jesus, uh, in one of his most famous messages, it's called the, the Sermon on the Mount, because, surprise, surprise, he gave it on a mountain. Jesus is teaching for, for a number of days, and people are just, crowds are coming from everywhere to listen to him, to hear his teachings, to hear him talk. And Jesus is just giving out nuggets of wisdom and wisdom and wisdom. And he addresses this idea of the confession game. And he addresses the culture in which people have just been apologizing to God in order to make themselves feel better. And the reason he addresses it is because nowhere in the collection of books that make up the Old Testament and the New Testament that when put together we call the Bible, nowhere in the biographies of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John do we hear about confession, saying sorry to God, being something that is supposed to make us feel better? Confession is always associated with this word, change. It is always supposed to change us and change the lives of the people around us. And this is what those, the, these, first, uh, these people in the first century had missed as well. And so when Jesus is, uh, is teaching this message to, to the people gathered on the mountain, this is what he says about confession. This is what he says about the missing piece of the confession game. He says, So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple. Now, I know, chances are, not many of you have ever presented a sacrifice in the temple at the altar. That's okay. We're first century Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to. And this was really common practice for them. Because what they would do is, is Jesus hadn't died yet, so they didn't have a saviour, and so they would take a sacrifice at a certain time of the year, uh, often around a, a festival, and they would take it to the priest or the pastor or the holy person, and they would say, hey, could you sacrifice this on our behalf to God so that we can say sorry and we can clean up our vertical relationship? And so Jesus is saying, when you're doing that, 
and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. In other words, when you're coming to God to say sorry, and you remember, oh my goodness, I backed into Tomo's car the other day and I didn't apologize. I broke the hind leg on his donkey and he doesn't know it was me. What I want you to do is I want you to leave your sacrifice there at the altar. And all the people would have known that, hey, we go there during festivals, there's thousands of people. We could have been waiting in line for a day, Jesus. We could have been waiting in line for hours in the hot sun and Jesus goes, I don't care, I want you to leave your sacrifice at the altar and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and be, here's this big church word and I'll explain it to you, be reconciled to that person. Now this big church word, reconcile, we don't really use that much anymore, but it essentially means I want you to repair your relationship with that person. And it isn't the idea that, that we would assume as, of, as repair it. Because what we think of when we think of repair is, I say I'm sorry, you say you're sorry, we shake hands and we move on. This idea in that culture said, hey, I apologize and then I give you 20% more. If I stole money from you, I pay you back what I stole and then I give you 20% more on top of it. Whatever you did, you repaid it and then you gave 20% more. And so Jesus goes, I want you to go and do that to the person that you have something, that has some, the person that has something against you. And then he goes on and he says this, then, after you've done it, then, not before, after, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, God will wait for you. And this is odd, right? Because often we think, oh, I'll apologize to God first and then I'll sort it out later. And we never get around to it. But Jesus says, God will wait for you. And the reason is, because you cannot repair your, horizontal, your vertical relationship with God if you have hurt or damaged a relationship with someone God cares about. And God says, I will wait. Because the two go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. You cannot have a great vertical relationship with God if you've hurt other people and you haven't reconciled yourself to them. In other words, what Jesus is saying is simply this, that moving forward requires genuine change. And we've been looking at this, this series. That's why we said it's uncomfortable. But genuine, and genuine confession, restoring that relationship, leads to genuine change. And the reason that it begins to lead to genuine change is because you get it out in the open. It's really easy to say that you're sorry to God and not change your behavior at all. And what happens when you say sorry to God and you don't change your behavior and you don't restore that relationship? You feel guilty. And guilty people keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And Jesus says, I don't want you to feel guilty anymore. But it's going to require that you change. And I know that's hard because that's kind of like an abstract concept. Like, okay, go and reconcile the relationship, sure. But what does that look like? And thankfully, we have, a, we have a fantastic example from Jesus' life of when this happened. See, there was this tax collector. He was kind of like the regional manager of tax collectors in this city called Jericho. Uh, and his name was Zacchaeus. And not many people liked Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector, which essentially meant he was a Jewish dude who worked for the Romans, and the Jews were under the oppression of the Romans, so the Jews did not like the Romans. And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to go work for them, and then I'm going to collect taxes from my own people and give them to the Romans. And people really didn't like Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was the regional manager of all the tax collectors. 
So if Zacchaeus wanted to raise, he raised the taxes. And Jesus is walking through the streets of Jericho, and Zacchaeus is a really small dude. And so Zacchaeus is trying to get a look at Jesus, and we find that we read that Zacchaeus actually climbs up into a tree to get a look at Jesus. And Jesus kind of points out to him, he's like, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. That's just silly. Come down. I'm... And Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus has a habit of doing that to people. He's like, I'm just coming over for dinner. You're cooking, by the way. And so Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. But before he does, they have this conversation. And it goes like this. It says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, that's Jesus, and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. In other words, Jesus, I'm sorry. And to show you what I've done, I'm going to give half of everything I own. I'm going to give it away. And then he says this, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, if, you're a tax collector, Zacchaeus. That's your job is to cheat people out of their taxes. And you're like a two-time cheater because you're the regional manager of cheaters. You're like the best cheater that Jericho has ever seen. Of course you've cheated people out of their taxes. He says, but if I have, I will give them back four times as much. And what Jesus says next, this is crazy. He says, don't pay them back, Zacchaeus. You've said sorry to me, so you're all good. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. Jesus didn't say, don't worry about it. Jesus didn't say, ah, that's really nice, four times. That's a little excessive. You should maybe just do two times. You know, if, I know it's 20%, but if you cut some margins, you can get it down to 17.5% on those repayments and you should be good. No, he says, salvation has come to your home today because you changed. The amount was irrelevant. What was important was the change. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now I know, whoops, clicked early. Now I know that you guys are smart. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you would know that one of the big things we talk about is that information is great, but it's applied information that changes your life. We don't want you to come to church on Sunday and go, that was such, the band was awesome, the message was great, and then leave and your life doesn't change. That's pointless. We want you to apply what we talk about. And I know because you guys are so smart that you're sitting there and the cogs are ticking, you're like, I know where you're going with this, Chris. I know exactly where you're going. I know exactly what you're going to ask me to do, and I'm not doing it. In fact, some of you are already thinking right now, you've got your Bible up on your iPhone, or you're thinking, when I get home, I'm going to pull my Bible down, I'm going to blow the dust off it, and I'm going to find a verse that says that I don't have to apologize, that I don't have to to get it out in the open, because I don't want to, because it's not fun. And I know. I wouldn't be talking about this if I hadn't done it myself. And, And I know it hurts. Just think, and you know this to be true, that just as people have hurt you in your life and have left you with those feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment, there are people in this world who when they harbor those feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment, your face and your name springs to mind. And I know, I get it, it's so natural to just be like, yeah, but that was years ago, they should just get over it. That was years ago, they ought to move on by now, why do they keep bringing it up? And I understand that's probably what they ought to do. But if you had done what you ought to have done in the first place, they wouldn't ever have to ought to move on. 
this is difficult, it's tricky, it's challenging, I get it. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, this is probably the most uncomfortable message of the series. Come back next week, I promise it gets so much better. But could you just imagine what would happen this week if the person that comes to mind when you think of the bitterness, when you think of that time in your past that that you hold on to, could you just imagine what would happen if they were to come to your door and you hear this knock at the door and you open it and they're standing in front of you and they say, you know what, I am so sorry. I don't know what to do. I know that we probably won't ever be friends again, and for some of you, it's not healthy to be friends again. It's not even healthy to be in a relationship with that person again. But they would have just to come and say, hey, you know what? I just want to make up. I just want to repay you for the damage that I caused. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to, to, nego- to talk through and negotiate it and, and figure out a way that I can repair this relationship so that we can move on, so that we can be reconciled, not necessarily to be friends, but just so that I can leave my past in my past and you can leave your past in your past and so we can both move forward. Could you imagine how the bitterness and the rage and the anger would melt away? First of all, there's the initial surprise of like, what are you doing at my house and how did you find out this place? But then once you got past that, the bitterness and the anger just melts away. And the truth is, you have the opportunity to do that for someone else. Because you hold the key for someone else letting go of their bitterness and their resent and their anger as well. And here's the thing, when you do it, not only do you get to move forward, but you help them move forward as well. And so here's our full Monday. And our full Monday is just essentially this. It's the application of what we've been talking about tonight. I just want you to become accountable this week. And now I want to make this really specific because I know some of you will be like, become accountable. Okay, I've already done it. I've acknowledged it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to apologize for the specific, this word's important, specific hurt you've inflicted. Because general apologies don't help specific hurts. In other, in other words, I want you to maybe write a letter. Maybe for you it's not even appropriate to make contact with the person you've hurt. And I get that. But for you, just write a letter to them. You're never going to send it to them. So just write a letter to them and address in a specific way the hurts that you've inflicted on them. And then apologize. And for some of you, that might mean having a phone call with someone. It might mean having a coffee with them and apologizing for the specific hurts that you've inflicted upon them so that not only you can move forward, but so that they can move forward as well. And here's here's the result. Because it's scary. I get it, right? I get that it's scary. But when you begin to confess, when you begin to change, what the result is, is healing because you don't have to carry around that guilt anymore. You don't have to carry around that pain. And I understand that at the start, the guilt is easy to bear. Because you, you look at this and you're like saying sorry, oh, that, that might cause me a little bit of hurt. And I only feel guilty like two hours a week. So I can, I can move past it. But over time, the guilt begins to build. 
And over time, the guilt begins to outweigh the other emotions and the other feelings that you have. And when you confess, and when you begin to change, you actually experience healing. And this is the last thing, and then I'm done. Because I understand that some of you, and you've been in church a long time, and you're sitting there and you're like, Chris, you don't understand. I get into heaven no matter what. Salvation is free. It costs me nothing. I remember you saying that one time like a couple of years ago. That is true. There is nothing you can do to earn your way into a right relationship with God. Jesus' death on the cross does that for you. But that is not true of your relationship with other people. You go into heaven because of Jesus' work on the cross. But your relationship with others, that is not true of them. And you know that from your own life. So here's the final question. What are the consequences of continuing to conceal the guilt that you hold inside? Because really, confession is a lot like a splinter. You get it in initially, and it hurts. It gets in below the surface of the skin. And some people try, try to get it out, and they say, oh, it's so painful, it's so painful right now, I'll just leave it in. But when you leave it in, over time, it begins to become infected. And it might not get infected straight away, but, but give it enough time, and it will become infected. And then the pain will start to swell and you'll get this red mark and then all of a sudden it's going to hurt even more to remove it. And it's going to become so noticeable that you're going to be forced to do something about it. And that's exactly the way it is with genuine confession. In order to get genuine change, there is pain. But I promise you, the pain of getting it out in the open is so much less than the pain that's associated with concealing it. Because when you continue to conceal it, you can't move forward and neither can the other person. So this week, be bold. Take the uncomfortable step and begin to experience the genuine change that occurs when you move forward by genuinely confessing the specific hurts that you've put on other people. I'd love to pray for us all. Jesus, this is a, a tough thing to hear. It's, a tough, it's an even tougher thing to apply. Because on the one hand, there's that guilt that wells up within inside of us. But on the other hand, there's, there's the pain that comes when we, when we admit that we're wrong and we, we sit face to face and eyeball to eyeball with someone else and we apologize. And Lord, I pray here tonight for people who, who the whole time that, that, that I was speaking, they're thinking of a name and they're thinking of a face and they're thinking of an instance and they're, they're weighing up and they're debating whether or not they should go and apologize this week. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to be bold. Lord, I pray that you would help them step out in faith and become accountable and apologize for that specific hurt, even if it's just simply writing a letter. If the relationship is beyond repair, Lord, uh, and that there's no way to get in touch, Lord. I pray that they would just write a letter and detail those specific hurts that they've inflicted, not to bring up the past, not to condemn them, but just simply so they can experience that genuine change and they can move forward in their life. And in doing so, they set someone else free to move forward in theirs as well, just as your death on the cross set us free 
to move forward into eternity with you. And I pray this in your son's name, the name of Jesus. Amen. We are going to move now into a time of communion. And as, as Pat and Steph that said, if that is a big church word that you do not understand, don't worry, we're going to walk you through it. Uh, really, communion is just sharing in and celebrating a meal that Jesus and his very first disciples shared. And uh, up the front here, there's a couple of stations and they've got some, I think it's Ribena or some kind of black, black currant juice and, uh, and some wafers and there's gluten-free in the bowls the little bowl-looking things, that's got the gluten-free in it as well. And so in a moment, um, we're going to invite you, if you want to, to come forward and just take one of the wafers and, and uh, dip, it, uh, dip it in the Ribena or dip it in the, uh, the, the cordial. And really the reason that we share this meal is because the night before Jesus went to the cross, the night before Jesus was betrayed and died for the sins of the world, he was gathered with his dirty dozen and some, uh, some extra disciples in an upper room. And they were sharing this Jewish meal that, that the Jewish people had sell, shared for centuries. And Jesus took this meal and he transformed it and gave it a new identity. He created something brand new on that night. And he did that by, by taking the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said to them, hey, this is my body. It's broken for you. And then afterwards, as they continued to, to uh, eat and drink, Jesus kind of quietened them down a little bit later. And he said, he took the cup. And he said, hey, this is my cup of the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to take this whenever you eat the bread together in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is one of those times where Jesus does something special in history. And Jesus says that, that I can't always be here with you, but my spirit can be here. And, and I don't know how to explain it, and, and people have tried over time, but we just trust that Jesus loves us so much that He actually doesn't want your past to define you, that He actually wants to set you free to move forward into your future. And so in this meal, what you experience is the forgiveness that was won on the cross. It's just bread and ribena. But Jesus is present, and when Jesus turns up, He wants to forgive, and He wants to restore, and He wants to help you move forward in life. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you um, maybe want to pray just to yourself as well, maybe there's something on your heart that we we're talking about tonight, that guilt that was kind of welling up or a name or something. I want you to pray that to God. And I just want you to say, God, I'm sorry. And this guilt has been overwhelming me and I want to lay this at your feet. I, want, I encourage you to do that, but I'm going to pray right now for us all. Heavenly Father, I I thank you that, that you never expect us to meet a perfect standard. And that even though we created separation from you through our decisions, that, that you loved us so much that you, you stepped onto the pages of history, that you pursued us, and that you went and you offered your life on the cross. And you did this so that whenever we would feel that guilt, whenever we would feel that shame, whenever we would feel the baggage of our past weighing us down, we could say, my past does not define me because my Savior's death has won me freedom and I am able to move forward, not because of my strength or how good I am, but because of the love that Jesus poured out on the cross. And Lord, I pray for people here tonight who are maybe overwhelmed by that guilt or feeling that guilt. Lord, I pray that, that, you would, uh, that they would turn it over to you 
that they would lay it at your feet, that they would trust that you take their shame and their guilt away and that you want them. You don't want to condemn them, but you want to free them to move forward into the future that you have for them. So I pray these things in Jesus' name.